0: Lesson 12 for December 13 to 19. Prayer, Healing and Restoration. Sabbath afternoon, December 13. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are opening your word again this week, and we just want to thank you for the blessings that come from the study of this book of James. And as we continue to study, we pray that we will understand more about our relationship to you and how we communicate with you and how you communicate with us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Let's read that again, James five sixteen. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. People are fascinated by the miraculous and the magical. They often are drawn to such things as spectacles or matters of curiosity and nothing more. So, when Jesus was asked to perform a miracle merely for entertainment in Luke 23, or as a sign of his Messiahship in Matthew 12, or even to satisfy a legitimate need of his own in Matthew 4, he refused. The spirit by which Jesus taught authoritatively and effected miraculous healings is not simply a power to be used. We are to be instruments in his hands." God would gladly heal everyone who is sick, but He is interested in a more substantial, lasting healing. Thus, in this context, we will look at some crucial questions. How do we understand the words in James about the healing of the sick? Is there a relationship between healing and forgiveness in answer to prayer? Elijah is presented as an important model of prayer in a time of widespread apostasy. What can we learn from his life of prayer and his work of calling Israel back to God and true worship? Sunday, December 14. The essential Christian toolkit. Question: Read James chapter 5 verse 13. What interesting contrast is he presenting here and how do we apply these admonitions to our own experiences? Well, James 5:13, is any one among you suffering, let him pray; is any one cheerful, let him sing psalms. Though dealing with two different things, suffering and cheerfulness, James links them with prayer and praise. Pray when you are suffering, praise when you are cheerful. The two practices are not that different from each other, however, because many biblical psalms of praise are also prayers, and James begins the epistle urging readers to consider it all joy when falling into various trials as he said in James 1, 2, and 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The time to pray and the time to praise might be more intertwined than we generally think. The word for suffering in James 5.13 is from the same root as the word used earlier to refer to the suffering of the prophets in verse 10. It refers to both physical and mental suffering first and foremost, for the danger and toil of war, says Les Speak, in theological lexicon of the New Testament, volume 2, page 239, but also to exhausting manual labor and costly effort. It is used in 2 Timothy 2, verse 9, and chapter 4, verse 5, too, to describe the hard apostolic labor that is not deterred by any difficulty or suffering. The same book, page 240. As Christians, we instinctively turn to God when trouble comes. Prayer is especially essential in facing difficulties, but singing or playing sacred music, the word used salto, can mean either, is also helpful. In the book education, page 168, Ellen White has this beautiful little sentence, Singing is as much an act of worship as is prayer. Indeed, many a song is prayer. How many of us have been depressed or lonely only to have the words of a hymn come to mind and lift our spirits? There are many among us who are suffering or need encouragement and would be cheered by a visit filled with prayer and song. Romans twelve fifteen Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. It may lift our spirits, too, as nothing else can. The book of Psalms especially is a treasure house of prayers and songs that can provide inspiration, encouragement, and direction when we do not know where to turn for help. And so to finish today, we all know how suffering can draw us closer to the Lord and how it can drive us to prayer, What, though, are the spiritual dangers that come when things are going well for us? Why, especially in these times, is praise so important? What does it help us never to forget? Monday, December 15, Prayer for the Sick Question. Read James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. What are the essential elements James prescribes for anointing the sick? And what important spiritual components are found in these texts? James 5, verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The fact that the sick person calls for the elders of the church to come and anoint him or her with oil in the name of the Lord and pray expresses the spiritual desire of the individual and the collective conviction that divine intervention is needed for healing. The reference, well actually there's a reference to that in Mark 6.13 and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The reference to the forgiveness of sins shows that God will not, by means of ritual, restore a person physically who does not also desire spiritual healing. From the book Ministry of Healing, page 228, we have these two sentences. To those who desire prayer for their restoration to health, it should be made plain that the violation of God's law, either natural or spiritual, is sin and that in order for them to receive his blessing, sin must be confessed and forsaken. The request for divine intervention and the summoning of the elders of the church suggests that the illness is incapacitating and perhaps also too urgent to be done in connection with a regular church gathering. Two different Greek words are used for the sick here. The first, Astheno, in verse 14, is also used of Dorcas, who became sick and died in Acts 9.37. The second, Camno, in verse 13, refers generally to the patient, but it is also used of those who are dying, and in this context, seems to mean someone physically worn out or wasting away. Miraculous healing may happen in answer to the prayer of faith. The desire for healing requires full surrender to God's will, whatever it is. However, the references to saving and raising the sick compare shall save from death in James 5.20 point unmistakably to the resurrection as representing the only complete healing the time when, as it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty four, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. And so to finish today, many of us have known about anointing services, or have even been involved in them, in which the sick are not healed, but in fact die. Why then is the hope of the resurrection implied in these texts our only surety? Tuesday, December 16, Healing for the Soul More important than the healing of the body is the healing of the soul. Our purpose is not, after all, to make people healthier sinners, but to point them to the eternal life found in Jesus. Perhaps that is why the only clear reference to healing in the passage for this week is our memory text, in verse 16, which reads, Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, which moves away from the hypothetical situations dealt with in verses 13 to 15. The word for healing in this verse, I am I, can refer to healing that goes beyond the cure of physical illness. For example, in Matthew 13, verse 15, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Having already in verse 15 hinted at a broader understanding of healing, the resurrection, James makes the connection between illness and sin, the latter being the root cause of all our problems. Not that every illness can be traced back to a particular sin, but that sickness and death are the results of us all being sinners. Question Read Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and we'll compare that with Hebrews 12, 12 and 13, and 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. What kind of healing do these passages describe, and what is the basis of this healing? Well, let's start in Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And many of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this and we'll compare that with Hebrews 12:12 12, 12 and 13 therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed and 1st Peter 2:24 and 25 who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Faith in Jesus brings healing from spiritual weakness and sin. In a sense, every healing Jesus performed was a parable meant to draw people's attention to their deeper need of salvation. In the case of the paralysed man in Mark 2, spiritual healing was actually the man's uppermost concern, which is why Jesus immediately assured him that his sins were forgiven. Yet, as Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 267, it was not physical restoration he desired so much as relief from the burden of sin. If he could see Jesus and receive the assurance of forgiveness and peace from heaven he would be content to live or die according to God's will. While God's healers today should employ all available medical means to cure disease, efforts should be made also to heal the whole person, not just for this life, but in view of eternity. Healing includes the healing of relationships, which is why we are exhorted... Confess your sins to one another, in James 5.16, meaning those we have wronged. That is, if you have wronged or offended others, confess to them. Then the blessings of the Lord will rest upon you, because the process of confession involves a dying to self, and only through that death to self can Christ be formed within you. Wednesday, December 17, Models of Prayer Question. Read James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. What do we learn about prayer from Elijah's example? How is it connected with healing, forgiveness, and restoration? Well, James 5, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. These verses illustrate the assurance given at the end of James 5.16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a righteous man and even translated to heaven, but he was not superhuman. He had the same passions and feelings that we have. The fact that God heard his prayer should encourage us that our prayers will be heard too. James says Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain, a detail not mentioned in the Old Testament, petitioning apparently for the fulfilment of Deuteronomy eleven verses thirteen to seventeen, also alluded to in James five eighteen. Let's look at Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, and it shall be that If you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled." Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Israel's worship of Baal, the god of storm and lightning, could not go unchallenged on the basis of this prophecy in Deuteronomy. Though we do not know how long Elijah prayed before his prayers were answered, his petitions were based on careful study of and reflection upon God's word in light of his present circumstances. It may be that he quoted Jeronimo's prophecy as part of his prayer, just as Daniel's prayer for Jerusalem is based on his study of Jeremiah's prophecy which we read in Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request for prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Our prayers too will be more effective when they spring from thoughtful consideration of our circumstances in light of God's word. The period of no rain lasting three and a half years, also mentioned in Luke 4.25, is a significant time of probation in Scripture, like the prophetic period of half a week or three and a half years of Jesus' ministry in Daniel 9.27 and the three and a half times of apostasy in Christianity in Daniel 7.25 and Revelation 12.14. At the end of this period, God used Elijah to bring a work of revival and reformation to wake up Israel so that the people would recognize the depths of their apostasy. It was a work that typified both the work John the Baptist would do for first-century Israel in order to prepare the way for Christ's first advent and the work that God has entrusted to His remnant church today— to prepare people for the second advent, as we read in Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And Matthew eleven thirteen and 14. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and, if you are willing to receive it, He is Elijah who is to come. And so to finish today, as a church we are seeking revival and reformation, but it must begin in our own lives, with our own selves, on a personal and daily basis. What choices can only you yourself make that will determine the direction and ultimately the destiny of your life? Thursday, December 18, Restoration and Forgiveness God's Spirit worked through Elijah to restore the relationship between Israel and himself. But most of Elijah's work was not on Mount Carmel. That was just the beginning. He carried it forward in small villages and homes and in training future spiritual leaders through the schools of the prophets to multiply his work of revival and reform. Question Read James chapter five verses nineteen and twenty. How does the work described here compare with the work done by Elijah, John the Baptist, and others? And we'll also look at some verses in Luke and Acts. James five, nineteen and twenty. Brethren, if any one among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And we'll compare that with Luke one sixteen 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Acts chapter 3.19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Often we forget the tender and patient work done by Elijah year after year. John the Baptist's work too focused on leading people back to the truth, inspiring repentance and baptism one person at a time. Jesus described his work in very similar terms, leading people out of error and back to the truth. We read that in John chapter 8, verses 43 and 45. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your heart you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. This hypothetical situation, described in James five, nineteen and twenty, uses a conditional construction in Greek, making clear that apostasy is not definitely assumed to exist, but it's probable. Departure from the truth refers to apostasy not only in doctrine, but in lifestyle, for very often the first leads to the second. Doubts begin to form about our beliefs, leading to double-minded behavior, and finally to outright apostasy. Turning back a sinner from the wandering of his ways will save his soul from death, is a literal translation of James 5.20. Summing up all that has gone before, James appeals for his brothers in the church to do a work similar to that of Elijah in leading people back to God. This work requires much patience, sympathy, tenderness, and humility. As it says in Galatians six one, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. The work of Elijah is to turn hearts toward God and his people, not to turn them away. Often the person is well aware of his or her sin and does not need it pointed out. What is needed more is forgiveness modelled by Jesus and provided by his death. Saving souls from death is possible only through the covering of sins, by applying the gospel to our lives and becoming instruments of mercy, as it says in Proverbs ten, twelve, And so to finish the day, think of someone who has really done wrong and knows it too. What can you do? What can you say to help draw this person back toward the Lord? Friday, December 19. From the book The Desire of Ages, page 504, we read, Christ asked us to become one with him for the saving of humanity. Freely ye have received, he says, freely give, in Matthew 10:18. Sin is the greatest of all evils, and it is ours to pity and help the sinner. There are many who err and who feel their shame and their folly. They are hungry for words of encouragement. They look upon their mistakes and errors until they are driven almost to desperation. These souls we are not to neglect. Speak words of faith and courage that will be as a healing balsam to the bruised and wounded one. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. The first is, think of a time when you really made a mess of things hurting yourself others, and the Lord by your sin? How much did it mean to you to have people who, although not condoning your actions, and who might have generally and rightly been appalled by them, nevertheless sought to encourage and uplift you? What do you remember most about these experiences, and how can those remembrances help you do the same for someone else who has made big mistakes as well? And question two. Read James 5 verse 16 prayerfully and carefully. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What important spiritual lessons are here for us? What does this tell us about the power of prayer and how important it is for our spiritual lives? Though prayer can and should be a very private matter, in class... Talk about what prayer does for you, how you have seen prayers answered, and how you have learned to trust the Lord when prayers aren't answered as you wish. In the end, what would you say is the most important practical benefit that comes from effectual, fervent prayer? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled, Under Arrest, Part 1. My pastor was planning to hold evangelistic meetings. He printed some invitation cards for members to give to their friends to remind them of the meetings. He urged everyone to invite their families, friends and neighbours, and we young people of the church wanted to be included. At that time, Cuba's government was more strict about religion than it is now. People could attend church and worship God, but the government didn't want churches trying to convert people to their faith. On Sabbath afternoon, while our parents were in choir practice, four girls and I decided to give out invitations to the meetings. We walked a few blocks down a side street, giving invitation cards to the people we passed or to those who sat on their tiny porches. Encouraged when the people accepted the cards, we decided to give out cards in the children's park a few blocks further away. One man, sitting on a bench, watched us talking to people and giving them cards. The man called us over to where he was sitting and asked what we were giving out. I gave him an invitation card and invited him to come to the meetings. He looked at the card for a minute, then told us, ''It's against the law to give out religious literature in Cuba.'' "'Where are your parents?' "'They are in church a few blocks from here,' I answered. "'I'm going to have to arrest you,' the man said as he stood up. "'Then I noticed that he was wearing a military uniform. "'You can't arrest us,' I told him. "'President Castro said that we have religious freedom in Cuba.' "'Let's go to the police office over there,' the man said, "'pointing toward a small building on the edge of the park.' So we followed the officer to a small building where the man made a telephone call. We'll wait here for the police to come and take you to jail, he told us. We asked the officer several times to let us talk with our parents, but the officer didn't respond. To bolster our courage, we began singing, Side by side we stand. As our courage grew, we sang louder so the people walking by could hear us. Then I saw a woman from the church walking by and I called out to her. I explained that the officer had arrested us for giving our invitation cards out and asked her to please tell my parents back at church what had happened. The woman returned to the church to tell our parents. Soon a police officer arrived and took us to a youth detention centre. We began to wonder what would happen to us. Would our parents find us? Well, you're going to have to wait till next week because the story is continued next week. So study next week's lesson, and at the end of it, look for inside story, and we'll get the end of this fascinating tale from Cuba. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.